is the TV Booth Podcast. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the TV Booth Podcast. I'm Rob Francis. Thank you for downloading. My guest today is one of the best-known voices in British television. With a career spanning over 30 years, she's worked with various television stations. But she'll be best known for her role at London Weekend Television, where alongside her colleague Glenn Thompson, she made the last announcement on the station's final day on air in 2002. My guest is the one, the only, Trish Bertrand. Hi, I'm Trish Bertrand, and you're listening to the TV Booth Podcast. Trish, it is a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for being a guest today. Thank you for asking me, Rob. It's an absolute delight to be talking to one of the best voices in British television by a mile. That's a bit that's a bit over the top. I don't I don't think so. And a lot a lot of my followers have said the same thing. So let's start at the beginning. Did you always want to work in television? Um, no. Is that a bad thing to say? (laughs) No, I started off my first ambition, my absolute burning ambition was to work in theatre. Oh right. Um, not necessarily as an actress. Um, I got stage struck at the age of 16, um, and this whole very alluring circus world was the world I wanted to kind of run away and join. So theatre was my first big love, I, I have to say. So um, that, that's, uh, yeah, that, that was it really. So um, yes, I got stage, I got stage struck uh, at 16. I went to see a show back in... You can work out how old I am then. Back, I'll just say back in the 70s. <laughs> uh, called Godspell, which uh, starred a young unknown called David Essex with another young unknown called Jeremy Irons and various other unknowns who are now jolly famous today. And I went to see this show because I'd seen a clip on the telly. And um, what blew me away was that I thought, goodness me, I didn't know theatre could be like this. I thought theatre was really stuffy and boring plays and drawing room comedies and, and for grown-up people. And so it kind of opened my eyes that theatre could be something different. And uh, with this kind of revelation, I then got absolutely crazy about, generally, about the state of theatre and British theatre and, and started researching it and reading plays and going and seeing lots of different things. And I set my heart on a career Uh, in this world. So I applied for drama school um, to be a stage manager and technical person um, at the end of my A-levels, which upset my parents terribly because they wanted me to go to university and do something posh and proper and all these things. Uh, I got into the Central School of Speech and Drama um, and I went on the stage management and technical theatre course. So that's, that's kind of how I started. That spat me out the other end after a couple of years of doing that, and I started a career working backstage uh, as an ASM stage manager in various places around London and uh, and down south. So that's kind of what started for me. So Sounds good. Sounds you're good. Go- you're going to ask, how did it lead to television? I know it. <laughs> my next question, Trish. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When it's I was... Nice, it's nice that we're on the same page here. <laughs> When I was at college, um, I shared a flat along with a couple of other people with a, a friend who, um, well, we all got together. You know, poor, impoverished students tend to kind of get together and share flats. So there were four of us. And she, at the end of college, she went off and got a job uh, touring around with the Cambridge Theatre Company. And she wrote me a letter, one of my course mates. This is relevant, by the way. <laughs> Now, back in, back in the day, there were no mobile phones or emails, so she wrote me a letter. 
And she wrote a letter saying, I've got this job. I've kind of accidentally fallen into this job down in the in the west of England. Um, I've got this job at Westwood Television as, as a continuity announcer, sort of by accident because they asked me. Um, and I think you should have a go at this. And her name was Fern Britton, and she was my college flatmate. So she put the idea in my head. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, so was that was that your? Did you actually work for Westwood Television? Was that your no, first? Fern did. No, Fern worked for Westwood Television. Right. Fern so... Fern was on tour with a theatre company, and she took some actors into Westwood Television for an interview. And while she was there, somebody spotted her and went, oh, she'd be good on camera. You know, she's good on interviews. She'd be good on camera. So she started as a Westwood Television uh, announcer with Gus Honeybun and all those things. So she's the one who wrote to me and said, have you thought about doing this? Because when we were at college, everyone said you were the one with the unusual voice. <laughs> so she put the idea in my head. <laughs> So um, how things start. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, mm. so, so, what was your first announcing job? Do you remember? Uh, okay, my very first announcing job. There's a little, another little bit in in the middle here. When Fern gave me this great idea that maybe this is, so, I thought that's a great idea because I'm not an actress and I can't act um, to save my life. Maybe I could do something with this voice. So I wrote. I made a homemade tape. <laughs> into a cassette recorder. I remember writing some links from, from a copy of the TV Times and sending them everywhere. <laughs> you see, you see, Rob, what it is, it's the confidence of our naivety. And when, yeah. when we're that naive, we believe we can do anything. And we lose that as we get older. So here's me in, in my 20s, sending a homemade tape to lots of TV stations. Can you imagine it now? Um, <laughs> and they all wrote back and said, um, who do you think you are? <laughs> They all wrote back. But in the meantime, I applied uh, to go on a nationwide. It was like a forerunner of the X Factor. Um, back then, uh, Esther Ransom was hosting a fantastic program called That's Life. And she did a nationwide trawl for new presenters. And I thought, oh, I'll have a go at that. <laughs> so I applied for that as well. And uh, I got down, much to my amazement, having never been in a TV studio in my life. Much to my amazement, I got down to the final selection. There were like three girls and there were about ten boys. And we all ended up having to do a mock programme at Lime Grove Studios. Um, this is around the early 80s. And um, anyway, I was the runner-up for the one girl's position on the show, Joanna Munro. I didn't get the job. I was the runner-up. And wow. Esther took me aside and she said this. She said, Trish you've got this really unusual voice. You can do something with it. I thought, now, Rob, when people keep saying that to you, you start thinking, hmm, okay. Yeah. So she said to me, you're not ready yet for, a, for something like this, but if you need to use my name, please use it. And I took her at her word. I wrote back to every TV station I've written to and said, look, Esther Ranson says, I've got this really amazing voice. I think you should give me a second look. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, you know, if Esther Radson, so of course what happened was some of them actually took a bit of notice, including London Weekend Television. And LWT got in touch and went, okay, seeing as you think you're so great, why don't you come in and have a chat with us then? And it was the Esther Ranson thing that kind of, um, you know, got the doors open. So you never know what it is, really. You never know. So um, in I go to LWT to have a chat terrified because I've never walked into a TV studio in my life. I don't know where I, apart from the whole Lime Grove thing for, for That's Life, which was pretty scary. And I go in and I have a chat and it turns out 
that all their announcers of the time lived out of town. So Peter Lewis was driving in from his country mansion in God knows where, Wiltshire, I think. You know, they were all, all these grand announcers were driving in for the weekend. They didn't have anyone on their own patch, London Weekend Television. They didn't have anyone close by that they could call on in an emergency. And I happened to live in Waterloo in a flat at that time. And they said to me, look, if we train you up, we think you could be our emergency person. Would, uh, would you be interested? And I said, yes, I think I would. And, um, and that's how I got in. It was proximity to the station got me in the door, literally because I live five minutes down the road. So. <laughs> it's not far from Waterloo Station, is it? So, <laughs> so you see, you just don't know. I, I would say to anybody listening to me rambling on, if you've got any ambitions in any direction, just, you know, keep at it because you don't know what is the thing that's going to open the doors for you. In my case, I was lucky. I had, I, you know, A, I lived down the road and B, I had the cheek, the absolute cheek to write back and say, Esther Ransom says you should see me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so there you are. But that literally is because I was young and naive and probably very, 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 very silly. But, you know, I look back now in awe and think, how did I have the faith to do that? The amazing confidence to do that. Uh um, the answer is naivety. The answer Absolutely. is naivety. Yeah. <laughs> I started at London Weekend Television. How lucky was I? You know, having having been told by some of the smaller ones um, that, uh, you know, the smaller one, Anglia, and I remember Anglia saying to me, I went up there to do an Envision audition, which I hated because I was rubbish in vision. I was rubbish in vision, everyone. I really was. Um, There's video evidence somewhere. Oh, it's terrible. Um, smaller companies would say, um, you need to try a bigger company because we can't afford to train anybody. We're just a small company. You need to be ready formed if you come to us. And the bigger companies would say, uh, Thames Television, I remember, would say, look, you know, we're, we're Thames Television and we're, we're terribly important. And we're Granada Television. We're terribly important. We don't, uh, you need to go away and do your time in the regions and, and learn your trade in a small company before we'll look at you. So it was this catch 22. So when LWT went, yeah, come and talk to us because you live just down the road and we think that might be useful. I went, yes. <laughs> um, so you've, um, you've worked for various other ITV regions. Hmm. Which, which ones yeah. have you worked for? Well, it kind of spins off. when you. I mean, I'm sure fellow ITV announcers back from back in the network day would, would agree. It's because there is very much, there was very much... Um, a lot of uh, what is the word um what is the word that will come to me in a cooperation is the word between the network companies you know I, I read on twitter sometimes and laugh that people think that all the companies didn't talk to each other and hated each other not so they all communicated and cooperated there were monthly massive meetings where the big execs would all get together it had to operate in, in the spirit of cooperation in order for the network to work so if you were an announcer in that system all the other um, stations kind of clocked who was working for who, and particularly as they all met in London once a month. They'd all tune in and they saw the London announcers working. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that that's kind of how it helped. If you work for one, other doors would, would listen. So I got to go to TVS. I approached TVS because I thought to myself, I'm not getting enough training here. I'm not getting enough airtime at LWT because they don't sling you on in Prez 1 straight away they sling you they slung us on to a very small part of it which was the bit we were putting the commercials into channel 4 so I wasn't up there with Peter Lewis to start with 
um, and I needed more. I needed more experience. So I approached TBS, and TBS said, "Yeah, come on down here. We'll give you some shifts down here." And so um, I went to TBS, and I uh, had a go at that, and I had a go at Envision. And I, I've got to say, I loathed doing Envision. I really didn't like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also did a little bit for. Um, I did a bit for West Country filling in purely because an old that was later on only because a, an old boss of mine had um, had went to work for West Country and he said help help I'm having an announcer crisis come and fill in for a bit so I did a little stint down at West Country for a while back in the later 80s I think it was um, or was it the 90s no West Country was the 90s wasn't it after yeah. the franchise change yeah. in the 90s um, you did some stuff HTV as well. Yeah, I used to do promos for HTV, and very occasionally for Anglia, and that and back then, of course, nobody was all connected on Skype like we are now talking. You literally yeah. had to get on a train and go to the stations and sit down in a in a promo suite in a sound suite and do the work. And I love that because it meant I had these lovely outings, you know, nice outing to Cardiff and <laughs> go and see everybody working there. I really liked the you know a lot of the announcers who were freelance would tour around the network just freelancing around the various companies who were, you know, filling in as an announcer, filling in as Probo voices. You know, there was this great kind of moving workforce that serviced the network back then before it all Absolutely. got connected. <laughs> so you worked for many ITV companies, but you've also worked for satellite companies. What was it like working for BSB, for example? Ah, well, I can't mention BSB, Rob, without its forerunner Super Channel, because Super Channel really was the very first. Uh, Super Channel and Sky Channel, as it was. We were the, the two first big satellite companies that launched in the 80s. Um, so because BSB uh, was, was kind of um, a follow-up from my Super Channel day, so I'll talk about Super Channel first, because, um, because it was an amazing experience, and, and I'm very proud to have worked for both, actually. So I consider myself a satellite pioneer. <laughs> um, late 80s, Super Channel set up. Once again, my time at LWT, I was still very much the junior in the 80s, which is fair enough. I wasn't doing very many shifts for them. Um, I needed more experience. I wanted a job where I literally was plugged into the system, if you like, and, and working shifts, you know, more or less around the clock. And once I couldn't apply to the BBC, uh, because once you were tarnished with the ITV brush, the BBC wouldn't look at you. Um, and Channel 4 uh, weren't interested. It was literally, the one thing I did find was that once, once you had cast your dive, you were known as an ITV person. It was very hard to cross over, you know, very, or if you were known as a BBC person, or if you were known, and Channel 4 obviously created their own sound. And this is in announcing terms. Um, so I needed to go somewhere where I learned more about what I was meant to be doing. And Super Channel launched. And I applied and uh, did the audition, and uh, they took me on. And it was extraordinary. It was an amazing time to work for Super Channel. We were based in the heart of London, back of Oxford Street. And uh, mainly the workforce came from the BBC and a few of us from ITV. So the first thing that happened was there was kind of like a real... Um, there was a, a, a communication problem because the BBC people, presentation people, had their own language and we had our own language as old ITVers. And so yeah. you know, you'd, you'd be in a corner going, what are they talking about? Uh, the symbol? Oh, you mean the ident? Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so there was a real language thing where the 
but in the end, we all kind of like shook down and became Super Channel people. Um, and Super Channel should have been a success, really. It was launched as the best of British television for Europe. Um, it was owned by everybody except Thames. I think Thames very wisely didn't take shares, but they owned a bit of the Astra satellite, if I remember, if memory serves. So they very cleverly didn't actually back the actual channel, but they backed the satellite. And everybody else kind of co-owned it. And therefore, our schedules were a real fantastic mix. And the BBC uh, did a deal where they gave us a load of programming. So we had a mix of BBC and ITV programs, the best, you know, from the past and present. And we were meant to be this fabulous showcase for Europe of the best of British television. And guess what? Europe didn't give a toss. Who <laughs> doesn't care? This amazing arrogance. I remember we were launched by Mrs. Thatcher and everything. Big launch party. Mrs. T rocks up. You know, says, "Here you are, Europe. You're all. We're all going to show you how marvelous we are." And there we all are, thinking how marvelous we are. And they didn't give a toss. And that was the first big shock: was that nobody in Europe really cared about our wonderful British television satellite station. <laughs> which makes me laugh because that once again it was arrogance rob it was just absolute arrogance that we thought we were so great i think um and secondly equity the actors union threw our launch into disarray by not agreeing the actors residuals um and therefore most of the programs had to be pulled from the schedule um and we ended up showing an awful lot of wildlife because tigers and lions don't need repeat fees so um so that, that was that. That really screws it. Now, your question about BSB. Um, mm. After two years at Super Channel, and it went, it kind of went belly up, really. It got sold and passed along the line. And as every time it got sold off, for instance, Richard Branson bought it for a pound and promptly sacked half the workforce. So half of us got made redundant. And then it got sold on by him to an Italian media family called the Marcucci's. And they yanked it out of its home and we ended up in a basement in Molinaire. Um, it got, you know, it re and then it, it ended up being bought by N NBC, the Americans, and off it went to Docklands. But along the way, it kept shedding people all the time. And so I knocked back on the door of London Weekend and went, my satellite adventure has gone a bit sort of... Um, a bit i was about to say tits up am i allowed to say that my satellite adventure's gone a bit bleep up and um and they said oh come back then but well done you for going away and getting a bit more experience um and then a year later um an old boss of mine who had been associated with super channel there's the link he'd been our deputy head of prayers and he went do you fancy having another go and i went what do you mean? He went, well, I'm, I've got myself into another one. It's called British Satellite Broadcasting this time. Do you fancy coming and having a go at that one? I went, yeah, why not? <laughs> so he said, I need a senior announcer. He said, I need someone who knows who knows what they're doing because we're going to hire lots of people who've never done it before to give it a different sound, he said. But we needed a couple of people around who kind of know how it runs. He said, come and have a go. And I went, yeah, okay. So off I went again because I was always keen to learn something new. And I was always up for a new adventure. So off I went to BSB, which was, as we know, another big disaster. So good fun. Oh, good fun indeed. Good fun indeed. Mm. Um, I'd like to talk to you about two events that I think may, sh may have shaped your continuity announcing career. Okay. The first one was uh, August the 31st, 1997. Yes, that's Princess Diana, I'd say. Princess Diana. Now, you were the on-duty announcer that day. I was. Scary. Very scary day. What was it like on that day? 
Okay, that was yes. You're absolutely right. That that for me is the the probably the day I earned my money and all my experience came into play. And um, I think all my fellow announcers would say the same that you were shaped by these days. I mean, I listened to Mark's actually, and Mark was talking about nine eleven, and I thought, yes, he's absolutely right. The how we, we had a boss, Rob, who used to say, "I don't pay you for what you say on air. I pay you for what you do when it goes wrong." And by that, he meant i.e. when events take over and things go not as expected. So Diana, the death of Diana, uh, was, was one of those. I had done the late shift the night before, uh, Friday night, and that meant I was home by one in the morning. Uh, I think, yeah, our shifts finished about one, even, even though the telly sort of carried on through the night. And... I'd been up to about two because when you come off a shift, you are always wide awake for about an hour by the time you get home. And so I got to bed very late. And in the morning, about eight in the morning, my, I, could, I dimly heard my phone ringing. And my other half got up, answered the phone, and I could hear this kind of like murmuring of voices. And he came in and he said to me, you've got to get up and go to work. And I went, I did the late, don't, <laughs> I was on late. And he said, no, 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 you've got to go to work. It's Lucy, your boss on the phone. Your boss is on the phone. Lucy's on the phone. So I get out of bed and I go to the phone and she says, Trish, Trish, you've got to come in. Um, some, you know, Princess Diana has been, um, Princess Diana has died. And I went, oh. And I'd dimly been aware that there'd been a news, there'd been some news uh, footage the night before. There'd been a kind of like a news headlines thing. And I'd looked at it the night before and it just said she'd been taken to hospital. I remember they said there'd been a crash in a tunnel in Paris and she'd been taken to hospital. And I remember thinking, oh, she'll be okay. They're not reporting she's died or anything. She'll be okay. Because you have to be, as an announcer, very aware of news events, as I'm sure you realise, because it affects you. And I remember. I remember thinking that the night before. Okay, she's gone to hospital. That's fine. I don't go to bed now. It's all going to be fine. So my boss said, get in. So I get dressed and I stumble into work on very little sleep. Uh, because we had hired that day, we had a freelance on duty for the early shifts. And it's not fair to actually ask a freelance person to, to handle something like that. You have, you, know, you have to put on someone who represents the company. And I was staff at this point. So in I go. And our lovely freelancer, remember, it was David Bradford. Famous David Bradford, who a QVC legend, he was freelancing for us, and he became our gopher and our runner that day, and he was sterling work, because we needed someone just to keep the cups of tea going. <laughs> In we go, and literally, I don't, I, television is run by the split second, you know, there is a schedule that absolutely maps out television presentation to the second, and you go in and you know you're about to tear up the schedule for the whole day. That is scary, literally from one hour to the next, we did not know what we were going to do. So all the, all the control rooms are linked up by red phone. Um, so the red phone connects up. Everybody's, everybody's um, speakers are up. So you can hear all the other inputs from all the other control rooms. So if you imagine, it's like a mass conference call of all the control rooms. Everybody is deciding what's going on. The big execs go in, come in. The top execs decide hour by hour. So Granada, Tem, no, Carlton... Um, London weekend, they decide. So what what was happening was things like, if I remember now, was it Anglia said, well, we're due to do a live, what was it they were due to do? We're due to do a live, blah, 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 blah. We'll take that out and we'll turn it into how is this affecting you program. 
somebody else said, well, we're due to do this, but what if we run that? ITN are on the line going, we've got the obit ready, maybe we ought to put that there. And they literally plan the schedule from hour to hour. So, so while they're doing that, the presentation managers are planning the junctions and going, okay, so we'll have 340 there, we'll have this there, this there, this there. And that's all filtering down over the red phone. So I'm sitting in the London weekend control room with one of the promo guys. We're working out what our slots are from all the information coming in. So we're going to get 30 there, 30 there, 30 there. And I then am writing on the fly what I hope is suitable explanation as to why our schedules have gone out the window, the sad thing that's happened and what is happening for our viewers. And so if you, I, I don't know if I've explained that at all well, but all I remember is we flew by the seat of our pants that day. And we literally, <laughs> we literally filled in hour by hour, junction by junction. And I wrote it as I went and, um, and I hopefully sounded suitably somber because it was sad and was shocking and, and nobody quite knew what was going on that day. So yeah, yeah it, was, it was the day we all earned our money, it really was. And that was the first time we were fed to the network, I think, London weekend. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I knew I was going out to the network, which is no big deal now, but back then it was. So, um, yeah. yeah, a day that no one will ever forget. Mm, and uh, no one will ever forget. And very, very sad. And, and I suppose our next big one, it'll be interesting to see, uh, purely from an anorak presentation hat on, with my, my presentation anorak hat on, when, our, when, our, when dear Her Majesty goes, and for goodness, she's not immortal, we know that. One. It'll be interesting to see how that is handled as well, but... Yes. Hopefully, hopefully it will be, it'll be done with great somber planning. Whereas poor Diana, you know, took everyone by surprise, really, as we know. I'd now like to talk to you about the. Uh, well, let's let's move forward to two thousand and two. Yeah. The end of London Weekend Television. Very sad. Uh, what was? How did you find out the news that L the LWT name was disappearing? Ah, yes, our boss, Lucy. We had an immediate boss. You know, there's several layers of management. On, you know, television has two sides to television, production side and then what they call broadcasting sides. So presentation, promotions, planning, compliance, legal, all that comes under our side. So our immediate boss, Lucy, our presentation manager, uh, basically got in touch with Glenn and I, um, my, my, my TV husband, as I call him, wonderful Glenn Thompson, and said, I'd like to take both out to lunch. And we went, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, whenever whenever your boss rings up all happy and cheerful and says, I'm going to take you both out to lunch, you know it's not going to be good. <laughs> and, of course, we'd heard rumblings, Rob. You know, we'd seen the way things were going. You know, the, the promo department had become the network promotions unit. You know, so all the promo departments around the network had all been amalgamated into one. You know, the control rooms were all being amalgamated. More and more of it was, was disappearing as, as the big companies swallowed each other up so we kind of knew that maybe our day would come so our boss took us out to lunch locally in waterloo and sat us down and said um at the end of this year and this was around i think maybe it was august or september and she said at the end of the year this is gonna a bit later on this is gonna be happening and, and pretty soon um, <laughs> within weeks and i'm just giving you a bit of warning and um there will be, uh, we're going to, you know, it's going to launch as ITV. There will be opportunities for you to apply if you wish to join the network team. But obviously this will be thrown open to all the announcers around the network, which is only fair and proper, which it is. And um, 
Yeah, and if you don't choose to apply and you and you don't follow ITV into the future, then obviously we will be discussing redundancy packages with you because you've both been here a long time now. And uh, yeah, that's how we found out. We were taken out and told. So, and we were both very sad. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine because we loved LWT. I mean, LWT was just the best. You know, the best experience ever. Really, it was just yeah. such a great company to work for. But I, I have to admit, your the final weekend of broadcasting as LWT was was heaven for us presentation fans, especially the final day when you brought back all the old idents and it even had a startup sequence. Am I, I, right, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna claim all credit for it now because it was all my idea and I just want that on record now. <laughs> I'll tell you actually whose idea was it? <laughs> it was mine. It was mine because now what you've got to remember is bit by bit by bit, uh, various sort of managements were being let go or out the door. We were a rudderless ship by the time it was approaching the start of ITV because Granada had bought us and Granada, um, the Granada management were really not sort of in force. The old LWT management were out the door. Our bosses were disappearing. There was only Lucy left, our immediate manager, keeping it all going. And I said to her, you know, we can't just disappear off air without marking this. This station, this company is something extraordinary. You know, we, we are, we've been a pioneering company here. Can't we do something? And she said, well, it, it better not involve money because they won't give us any money. And I, so I went to wonderful Gareth Randall. Hi, Gareth, if you're listening, <laughs> uh, who was one of, my, one of our promo producers, um, who is part of the TV history community I know and highly thought of. And I said, Gareth, you know, any chance? He said, leave it with me. And he went to Dave Jeffries, who is his mate, who, who uh, is a um, fabulous graphics person and, and part of the TV history community. And he said to him, so you could do us a favor. And, and so Gareth got together, a little group of people, and said, right, we will, we will recreate all this. Um, and he so I very much am grateful. And Lucy, our boss, was completely compliant and said, right, what do you need? What do you need? And so between a little gaggle of us, we decided we were going to mark the demise of this station all off our own bat because there was no one senior to tell us not to. And Gareth came down with a video camera and shot that little thing which lives on YouTube to this day. And um, and yeah, so that's it was all slung together by the goodwill and grace of a few a handful of people who um, who said, yes, I'll help you do that. And the, that's how these things are done. I think people always think that, you know, these things are planned at high level in, in boardrooms. They're not. It's usually a handful of people at the coalface going, hey, why don't we do that? Why don't we do this? And, and someone saying, yes, you can. And that was my immediate boss, Lucy Booth, who is thanked, I think, on the final plaque. I was thanks to Lucy Booth because Lucy was the only presentation manager in charge at that point. Because no, as the companies wound down, nobody really cared about us. Everyone was getting ready for ITV. You know, get ready for ITV. Oh, do you remember that? That was back in the oh, day. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it happened, and and and, and as I say, I'm 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 totally taking credit because it was my idea to sort of say, "Come on, everyone! I think we need to do this, and what can we do, and what's possible?" So um, I'm very right. proud of that. I'm very proud of that. Absolutely. So. Uh, we should also give a shout out to your uh, continuity partner, Mr. Glenn Thompson. Ah, oh, Glenn, my TV husband. <laughs> yes, you you of course shared the final continuity announcement with Glenn. Yep, we did. It was pre-recorded, I must admit. You mean the Envision one? Yes, the final yeah. Envision announcement, yes. Yeah, we, we pre-recorded that. I don't think I could have done any of that live. It would have just choked me up, really. Glenn had the final day live on air. Yeah. Quite right, too. Um, 
<laughs> I couldn't have done it. And, and do you know what? I couldn't have done it. I could not have done it. And I know that my final announcement, which was a couple of weekends before, yeah. whenever I hear it, and I do, I do listen to it sometimes. I know that sounds tragic. But I listen to it because I can hear in my voice how, how emotional I was. You have no idea what it took to say that announcement because I was yeah. so upset. And it, and it wasn't about losing our jobs because we'd all we've all been battered by life by then we'd all lost jobs and got it was about the demise of this extraordinary company and 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 other people with their itv companies around the network felt the same because the network was something unique and something special and i kind of think that you know we lost something special when that was all dismantled and it all became one big blobby thing you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> Over your career as a continuity announcer, you must have had a few bloopers and cock-ups. Anything interesting come to mind? No, I'm trying to think. You've caught me on the hop now. I should have actually sat down and thought about this. Um, <laughs> I can't think of anything particularly bad or major in later times. But from the early days, uh, okay, when I started, um, London Weekend had a thing called Presentation 2. This, is, this was like a training press area. I'll take you back to 1982 and the launch of Channel 4. Now, Channel 4, this is all relevant. I know I'm a rambler. Channel 4, when it, launched, when it launched, the um, commercial breaks were basically um, sold by the ITV network. So Channel 4 launched and ITV were, they kind of owned it back then before it became a, a self-contained corporation. What is it? What is it classified as? Is it a corporation or a... Yeah, it's a corporation, yeah. Right. So it was initially, it was the ITV network that propped it up. And in order to prop up Channel 4, they sold the commercial airtime and inserted it into Channel 4's output. So those commercial breaks, early commercial break years, were, were basically controlled, run and placed by ITV. And um, London Weekend said, ooh, when we do the commercial breaks across the weekend, we could we could do it from a present a presentation suite, and maybe we could have an announcer that we could train up that would um, that would learn how to be an announcer as a kind of a backup for the main suite, because as part and parcel of the deal of putting in the commercial breaks, the ITV companies were allowed to have some little. Uh, alternative viewing announcements, which they were allowed to stick into Channel 4's output. So the alternative viewing announcement would say something like, um, over on ITV now, you can see blah, 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 blah. Here on Channel 4, you can see this. So can you imagine? Channel 4 were very pissed off about this because suddenly in the middle of their output, they'd get this random ITV person popping up with a voice that wasn't their regular announcer, suddenly plugging ITV, but acting like they were on the Channel 4 output, <laughs> if that ah. makes sense. So that's how I started. I would literally do two or three of those an hour, what, sitting watching our commercials go out from our control room at London Weekend within the output of Channel 4 across the weekend. Um, and so as part of that, uh, we had to occasionally fill the airtime because they couldn't sell all the airtime for Channel 4 in the early days. Um, it was really hard work because Channel 4 launched and it was rather worthy and very esoteric and a little bit little bit serious. I remember the press greeting its launch with Channel Snore and Channel Bore. And it was hard to sell its airtime back then. It, you know, it was, it was nothing like it is now, which is an amazing channel now. I love Channel 4. Um, so the airtime would have great big chunks in it, where, which had to be filled. 
And so we would write, we, we trainee announcers would write TV Times 30 second fillers. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd sit there going, go out and buy the TV Times this week, blah, blah, blah. And you'd write these fillers that filled up the breaks. And I had a fellow announcer who wrote clever, clever tongue twisters. She wrote these really tricksy scripts. And I was really jealous and thought, oh, I can do that. I thought, I'll have a go at that. So one weekend, I had a 30-second slot to fill in a commercial break, and I wrote a tongue twister thinking I was jolly clever. And it came out like this. It was meant to be four... I've never forgotten this (laughs) because I had sleepless nights about it. It was meant to be four of Britain's biggest brewers give Britain's best-known pub a facelift. And it was an article about the Rovers' return in the TV Times. It came out as... Four of Britain's biggest booers give Britain's breast-known pub a facelift. And it came out completely wrong. And I'm live with this thing. And I'm looking through the window. And my transmission controller is looking at me in utter horror as this garbage comes out of my mouth. And I'm fortunate to say that was the early 80s. And I didn't get sacked (laughs) for talking garbage on air. I've, I've never forgotten it because I had sleepless nights after that, which taught me never be jealous of what someone else can do. Develop your own thing. It was a good lesson to learn. Precisely. <laughs> anyway, so, they, can't think of anything else, Rob, off the top of my head. Really can't. So. No, that's okay. No, that's okay. Um, so let's talk about idents because this is the whole point of this podcast, really, is to talk about TV presentation. Um, did you have a favourite LWT ident? Ah, okay. Uh, I did love the River Ident, and I, it wasn't on air for very long after I got promoted up to Pres One, as I didn't get to talk over it for very long, sadly. You know, the bing, 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 you know, the famous yeah. River Ident with the Harry Rabinowitz music. Yeah. Um, I do love that because I think it's iconic. And it, uh, uh, when I see it, even if it pops up randomly on TV, as it does occasionally on some retro program or whatever, the hairs on my arm still stand up and I look at it. I liked, we called them Solari and Genesis. They were the shutters. Yes. The, the white silver shutters that kind of did that. Dan, 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 you know, ding, 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 ding. And, and they sort of did that weird shuttery noise. I like I liked those because I thought at the time they were very modern. They looked very modern and very, a bit sci-fi-ish in a way. Um I love them all. There was just one I hated. I think it's best to ask me the one I hated. Which one did you hate? Ah, it was one quite late in the day. Ah, there's a story for you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It was around the early 90s, I think. When when did Granada come along and buy buy London? Take over London? It was early 90s, wasn't it? 96, I think it was. Was No, I don't think it was that late. I thought they came along a bit earlier than that. Anyway, maybe, see, off the top of my head, I can't even think. Um, it was around the time Granada had taken us over, One, and our senior management had all disappeared out the, out the door again. I mean, senior management disappear very quickly in television, I have to tell you. They're there one day, gone the next. Uh, and once again, our Lucy, Lucy Booth, fabulous press manager, was keeping the ship going. And we had this ident on air, which one of our last senior managers, broadcasting managers, had, had uh, okayed. And it was this thing that just kind of went... Boom. It was a circle that spun out at you oh, yeah. and kind of went boom. And we all hated it. And we absolutely hated it. Right? He, Robin Paxton, his name, 
he got ousted in the Granada shake-up, and off he went. He got he went out the door, and I thought, ooh, perhaps we can get rid of this iron now. <laughs> so I'm sitting in Prez one morning with my fellow transmission controller, Des. We're looking at this thing going, vroom, like that. Um, and uh, I said to Des, you know, I absolutely hate this. I absolutely loathe this iron. And he went, yeah, I absolutely hate it. He said, it's, it's, it's criminal. And I said, who's to stop us getting rid of it? <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, well, there's nobody in charge again. Uh, only Lucy. Um, and, uh, but our broadcasting management are out the door again, you know, while we wait for the Granada newer management to arrive. And he said, well, there's no one to stop it, really. Um, I said, dig out the old, um, dig out the one that used to go... Uh, <laughs> Which one was it? Play me some, Rob. Play me some. <laughs> that, 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 one. that one, right? Dig, oh, it was the one with the... I said, dig out, dig out that one. So he goes into the automation, into the machine, and, he, you know, they faff around with the, the computerised machine by then, and he goes, oh, here it is, and he digs it out. And I said, let's put it in the next junction. And he went... He went, we can't do that. And I said, no, 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 because he was LNN by then, I think. Was he LNN? Was Jeff LNN by then? I said, look, I'll take the rap for it, if anyone asks. I'll take the rap. <laughs> so I was terribly naughty, Rob. I was really subversive at work. Um, so we stuck it in the junction. And we thought, oh, that looks better. Get the old IDEM back. And, uh, and the phone went. And it was the internal phone. You know, I only bosses know the number phone. I went, oh, here we go. And it was a guy called Vincent O'Brien ringing up from Sky Television. Vincent had been an LWTer, and we had we heard rumours that Vincent was coming back to be our new boss. And he rang up, and I went, and he went, "Hi, Trish." I went, "Hi, Vincent." I said, "I heard a rumour you're coming back to be our new boss." And he went, "Yeah." He said, "I'm just ringing up to what I want to know where you found that ident in the last junction." And I went, "Oh, it was kicking around the system." He said, "Why did you do that?" And I went because we hate the one that's on air now. And he went, good. He said, so do I. Keep the one you found. <laughs> so we've, been, we've been this horrible thing, me and Des, my transmission controller. So Vincent came back and went, yeah, we like what, yeah, we're going to go with that old one. We're going to bin that one. So you see, you can get away with these things. And people think decisions are made importantly at high level. They're not. They're made by people like me messing around in the control room, people. <laughs> <laughs> so I did kill the one I hated. I'm very proud of that as well. I oh, killed yes, the one yes. I hated. I'm very glad that one got killed. <laughs> yes, yes, people don't realise you see when when managements change, stations are like rudderless ships because there's all you know, you don't quite know how things are gonna go and what's happening. And we had this weird period where our LWT bosses were out the door, Greg Dyke et, et al. And the new Granada top level management hadn't really installed themselves. You know, it was it was a dodgy time. It was a weird time. So. It was, yeah. Yeah. Away from LWT idents, did you have any other favourite idents from ITV regions? Um, always loved Thames, must say, because I'm a London girl. Yeah. And, and even before television, you know, my theatre years, Thames and LWT really made you feel part of the whole capital thing. You know, yes. This is who we are. These are our London stations, you know. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I was rather like the Anglian Knight because it was kind of big and proud and, and, and like, <laughs> you know, 
it's some, yeah. something a bit strange from up there in the country. <laughs> I'm so terrible. I'm so London centric. I apologise, people, for being so London centric. But this uh, is what I've made my life the last forty years. So. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> so, do you? So do you have any advice for anyone who wants to become a continuity announcer? I know we touched on it a little bit earlier, but do you have any other advice you'd like to give anyone? Oh, gosh. Um, it's so different now, Rob. I'm very mindful that the landscape has changed. Um, having said that, there are some terrific announcers out there. And, 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 you know, I hear people working who are very different to how people were back in my day. And I, I, I think they're absolutely top notch. There's some top notch people on air. What would my advice be? My advice, you see, it's now very much marketing led, I think, television stations are very marketing led. And I think that if you want to approach a TV station, you need to be very aware of, of the ethos of that station and the branding of that station and what that station's image is and what it's trying to say. I say this to people who write to me. If you want to try and be a Channel 4 announcer, go away and make a demo tape that feels like a Channel 4 demo tape. If you want to work for ITV, go away and make a demo tape that feels like an ITV demo, because they're all subtly different. You know, the styles are different, the voices are different. And that's the first bit of advice is get your ear around what that channel, what that station is trying to do on air and, and see if you can make yourself fit into that. Back in my day, it was very much about, here I am, I'm an announcer, we're going to announce. And, the, you know, it, 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 these things weren't thought of quite as much back when I started. And the rise of that, and it has become important, I'm not dissing it at all, it is important because look at how many channels are out there now. And look at the rise of Netflix, Netflix and Amazon Prime and, and all the other choices we have. Therefore, branding and marketing and what a station is, is very important. And therefore, the announcer has to be part of that, has to fit that image and that style. So that's my advice, is really get your ear around what, what the stations are doing before you approach them. Fantastic, fantastic advice. Trish, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Rob, you've been a delight. And, and can I just say to everybody who, who I ever talk to on Twitter, and I know you and I know each other from Twitter, um, yeah. I absolutely love the fact that you keep TV history alive. I love that. Um, <laughs> I love the fact that there's such a healthy interest in it. Um, I, I do try and add my 10 pence with every so often if I think it's helpful and useful. And I, I think you're all brilliant. I love the websites you all create and your podcast. I've listened to one or two, Rob. Really good idea. And, and thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers, Cheers, Trish. Thank you very much. Cheers, Rob. Thank you to Trish Bertram for a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed chatting with her today. You can visit her website at trishbertram.com. And of course, you can follow her on social media at Trish Voice. If you haven't done so already, why not? Anyway, that's it from this edition of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Visit tvboothpodcast.co.uk for details of forthcoming shows. And we're also on social media on the usual channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. I'm Rob Francis. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you all next time. Bye bye. The TV Booth Podcast is hosted by Rob Francis. Copyright 2019.